Welcome to another Pharma Forum podcast. In this episode, I speak with Herbert Altman, Head of Commercialization and Access Solutions Europe at PharmaLets, together with Casper Pardacupa, partner at Ventura. In the podcast, we discuss the EU's Joint Clinical Assessment or JCA process, originally introduced to provide a centralised HTA process in order to aid reimbursement in deliberation in EU member states where infrastructure for this and pricing is lacking. It's a complex topic, it's an ongoing topic, and the conversation touches upon multiple pieces of a very complicated puzzle. Nonetheless, I hope you find it as informative as thought-provoking and as important as I did. And thank you for listening. This is Pharma Forum web editor, Nicole Raleigh. And today I have with me Herbert Altman, who is Head of Commercialization and Access Solutions Europe at Pharmalex. And with him is Casper Pardacupa, a partner at Ventura. Amerisource Bergen completed the acquisition of Pharmalex and Ventura, which was owned by Pharmalex, in January this year. And both Herbert and Casper's teams, not the entire Pharmalex organization, now sit within the Global Consulting and Market Access Group at Amerisource Bergen. So welcome, both of you. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Pleasure to be here today. Pleasure to have you. So today, we'll be discussing the initial expectations for the Joint Clinical Assessment, or JCA, framework, including the opportunities and challenges ahead, as well as key learnings from products that went through the pilot phase and insight into the workings of the JCA process overall. And additionally, we'll touch upon the potential impact anticipated for patient access to innovative healthcare products. So, Habit, Casper, both of you were recently involved in a webinar entitled The EU JCA Process, Opportunities and Challenges in Bringing Innovative Medicines to Patients in Europe. This was moderated by Tommy Bramley, SVP of Global Consulting at Amerisource Bergen. And Tommy began by noting that the purpose of the JCA is threefold, eliminating inequality, reducing redundancies and speeding access and innovation to therapy called a game changer in assessment of medicines at the European level. Herbert, I wondered perhaps whether you could summarise the JCA framework and describe how it aims to streamline the health technology assessment or HTA process in Europe to begin with. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that uh, is an important question, of course. Um, As you know, the European Commission decided to consolidate its HTA processes And a central part of the EU's new HTA regulation, which was enacted in January 2022 already, is the JCA, the Joint Clinical Assessment, as you mentioned just before. The JCA seeks to address issues posed by multiple country-specific clinical assessment through the establishment of a streamlined and transparent pan-European assessment procedure. So this um, centralized JCA aims to harmonize the clinical assessment of drugs and medical devices across all 27 European Union member states. A major objective of that is to eliminate the need for multiple national HTA bodies to conduct the same systematic review of the same clinical evidence. So instead of that, the JCA report will be available for use by all of the member states. So the biopharma companies that could mean that for biocompanies, it could mean that 
they only have to submit their data to the HDA regulation secretary on a European level one time instead of sending it again and again to individual EU member states. And uh, the final JCA framework has not yet been endorsed, but mm. uh, right now, as a part of this pilot phase, the UNETA 21 group is developing a proposed procedure, while the coordination group is establishing the formal and methodological guidance. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Herbert. And Casper, what's the implementation timeline? Because you brought an out on that for us. Yeah, I think that's a very good question, Nico, because as Herbert said, it's like uh, quite a bit is underway. Coordination group established. Uh, still a lot needs to be done. And actually, uh, we need to be mindful because the, if you look at the endpoint in timelines, it's already in January 25, that, uh, 2025 that both oncology drugs and ATMPs need to go through this procedure. 2028, uh, all orphan drugs and 2030, all uh, drugs that are registered with the EMA need to go through. So that's that's like the end point in mind. And if you see where we are now, important timelines, what Herbert said, the coordination group is established. And luckily, that represents every uh, European Union member state. It's represented in there. And they are working at the moment, as we speak, on the formal uh, methodological guidance and frameworks. Um, it's not that they're just starting. So just for people to, to not to be uh, worried, like, is it only starting now and we only have a few months left? No. Um, there, there was already a consortium called UNETA 21. And as we run a number of pilots, uh, I think Herbert in his previous role at Infartis has also been part of that. And they already tested with L pharmaceutical uh, products and some other uh, technologies to see how the process could look like. So there are already proposals, there are learnings, and those pilots will now extend through the end of 2024. Uh, UNETA 21 is, is kind of finalizing the recommendations. They will hand it over in September this year to the coordination group. Uh, and then hopefully the coordination group will be absolutely ready in time. And another uh, final thing I think is really relevant, that coordination group is, is not acting on its own. They're, they have established the EU uh, stakeholder network where there's representations from all relevant stakeholders. Uh, and that has kicked off uh, also in June and 13th of June. There has been a major uh, first kickoff meeting where they brought all the relevant stakeholders together. So there's absolutely a lot of progress uh, in the timeline at the moment. Okay, thank you for that. So just a couple more questions. Firstly, within this process, what do you think the potential role is of patient opinion? Could someone broaden out on that, either Herbert or Casper? Mm -hmm. uh, thanks. Maybe I jump in here, Casper. And uh, I think, first of all, it's important to underline that there is a strong and shared commitment from all that and a passion, I think, also to improve patient access to innovative medicines across Europe. So this is there. But as it's already mentioned, patient opinion should be listened to. And the normal way is that patient associations and patient groups uh, are included in the process. And uh, we have to make sure all together, all healthcare system stakeholders, that we reflect on, on the process and make sure that patient organizations can um, yeah, raise their voice and, and their concerns to make sure that innovation reaches past uh, mm -hmm. the different market in an equal way. At the same time, of course, also physician organizations, which are representing also patient opinions, can be uh, heard and, and can uh, input into the process and the final JCA report. So patient voices are very important in this process. 
Thank you. Yes. And if we sort of think about that different methods, different ways of doing so, uh, maybe Casper, what impact will the EU process have on both local levels and national levels? And what might that mean for the HTA bodies there? Yeah, thanks, Ingold. Good point. I, I touched upon it a bit earlier, but it's good to clarify it a bit. And as I said, it almost feels like a bit of a contradiction there right? that we the the whole JCA it's 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 a more centralized pro pro procedure, uh, which would benefit all the local countries. However, it also means that there's still a lot to be done for local HTA bodies and also the local affiliates for the pharmaceutical companies attached to that. Um, and I think it's at three levels. And first of all, it's Already for the coming months, really important that the local HTA bodies engage locally with industry associations, individual companies to also start discussing like when 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 the new framework will be implemented in 2025, how will we work together? Because usually now there are like already collaboration models in place between pharma and the HTA bodies, that, but that will need to be revisited. Um, and then secondly, for, for each submission that the pharmaceutical company will be doing through the uh, JCA, uh, it's still important that each local HTA body submits what it's called their research question, their PICO, uh, where it's really core, like what are the outcomes we're looking at that are relevant for us? What are the uh, comparators we're looking to in the, in the market? Uh, and to a kind of avoid that we end up with, as, as Herbert said, hopefully with one, but uh, maybe three to five, but we don't want to end up with 27 different research questions in the central procedure. So for the local HCA bodies, it's really important to align that amongst themselves, but also with the pharma companies. So to make sure that from a local perspective, you don't get too much disparities. Uh, and I think um, thirdly, and that's really important, the local HCA bodies also start, need to start thinking to streamline their processes. Like when the JCA is done, there's the JCA report. Like, how are we facilitating the adoption of that to, uh, to avoid that we start redoing work? How do we connect it to our economical assessment that's coming after that? Uh, so those are the three levels that they need to work with. And the main thing, what the impact will look like now, for the, at least for the coming months, is that a lot of new additional resources will be needed as those ATH bodies. So uh, I think the key priority would be uh, recruit, 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 because... Uh, we all need uh, additional resources to make this happen in the meantime. So uh, I think that's that's the main things happening on the local level for the coming period. Thanks. Thank you, Casper. Okay, so if we stick with that notion of progress and the word used earlier of harmonization, stick with you for a minute, Casper. Do you think that the JCA will help to address health inequalities in Europe? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's also what I dream of. And that's absolutely what I'm passionate about. So, uh, And it's also the primary objective of the HCA regulation. It, it, it's all about improving access. And not only access, it's also availability uh, of innovative medicines for patients across Europe. And, and why I mentioned both is that, that what you see at the moment, that there's a difference of challenges going on in Europe at the moment. And you see a, a really wide variation in how long each country takes to assess uh, at the national and subnational level new uh, technologies coming to market. And there's a lack of resources in a number of countries. And the result, what you then see, is it's coming from both the FPI weight indicator, but also a report that Ventura did called Everyday Counts. There's a lot of variation in Europe, and I don't think we want that. We are like a solidary uh, group of, uh, of countries, and I think we should make sure 
you don't have these differences. If you look, for instance, at the number of available medicines in the country that are EMA approved, there's like 80, 87% in Germany and in Poland only 8%. That's a tenfold difference. And also, if you look at the time to market access, it's, it's yeah, I think it's, almost, it's really flabbergasting. It's like you, it's, in Denmark, there's an average of 86 days. And if you look at Latvia, it, it almost takes 981 days, so almost 1,000 days after EMA approval before it's reimbursed in the country. And, and I think these differences are too big. And that's also what the Euro Commission, European Commission realized. And that's all what this is all about, to really speed it up. So there's a really a big need to improve uh, that access. And that's important. So, But we need to have that framework in place. Those methodologies need to come there. And yes, I'm absolutely, uh, absolutely confident it will work. It means that we need to work together with all stakeholders to adopt it. But once there, it will reach this uh, really important objective. I'm confident about that. Okay, thank you for that. So just lots of notions in there, but let's just sort of tunnel down for a second. So Herbert, what are the risks? It's all good having a dream. I, I know this is what you dream of, Casper. But what are the risks for JCA and how can these be overcome, first of all? And then perhaps you could tell me a bit about the different challenges for small to mid-sized companies versus large pharma. Uh, thanks, Nicole. Let me maybe spend two, three words on what Casper uh, already said before, and then we go to that one. The first one is on the timelines and the complexity. I think it's important to mention that at the same time, there is also the JSC process implemented, joint scientific consultation. That's a very important process where the manufacturer has the opportunity to have an early exchange with EMA, the regulatory body, as well as with the HDA bodies in Europe. That's important to inform the manufacturer about the evidence package requested to get a label, but also get afterwards a positive HDA assessment. This parallel EMA and HDA body scientific advice is super important in this process. And uh, right now there was a press release that the GBA in Germany took over the coordination role from September 23 on when then manufacturers can also submit uh, their applications to get this input. So another piece in the complexity while time is pressing when you asked about the timelines. Mm. Regarding equality, I think it's clear and to Casper's point, uh, the overarching goals of the JCAs are laudable, um, but there is significant complexity to overcome to deliver on the promised outcomes. And therefore, I think it will be immediately, uh, it will be important if we want to make sure that we achieve the objectives that there are meaningful KPIs and measures implemented, measuring inequality and balancing that. And uh, then, of course, also become a learning system. And that would need an overall willingness of all healthcare system stakeholders to collaborate here and to learn quickly, be transparent, and have a willingness to address improvement areas quickly to address then a very patient-centric solution, I think. Now, sorry, coming back to your earlier questions about uh, the challenges for small and mid-sized companies. I think there is a tremendous need for an impactful solution. And this process offers the potential to really address some of these existing barriers. Um, so as I mentioned before, this complexity to overcome is high and there's a real risk that the JCA might not solve all needs or questions which are coming from the different individual EU member states, from the HDA bodies there. 
And that can be due to the lack of harmonized approach to the clinical evidence assessment, which is coming. So um, to standardize this process among the different member states is super important so that the manufacturer and the pharma companies have not to submit uh, additional data too much while this has to be expected from the beginning, but that this is growing together more and more and that the JCA report, the result of the JCA process will help us to yeah, optimize and, and of course speed up the entire part of the process. So Casper, sticking with these challenges, particularly as pertains to the small to mid-sized companies, is there any guidance that you can give listeners today or generally as to how to overcome those and make the process a bit easier for them? Yeah, the easy guidance for, for uh, would be to say, like, guys, you need to start building up your local market access capabilities. As we said, it's the challenge for them will be to, to engage with local HTA bodies. However, I don't think that's a real uh, plausible and feasible solution for them to start building up their teams uh, that they simply probably don't have the resources and they don't have that many products coming through. So it's also not worth investing in a full dedicated team. So I think my my best advice would be to, to reach out to experts who can help them in this process, to experts who have done this before, who know the different markets, and can uh, provide them with the, the the sound advice. I don't know, Herbert, any any additional thoughts from your side on that? No, I, I fully agree, Casper. I, I think as a single company, especially the smaller and mid-sized companies, it's difficult to gain experience about this process because they have one or two compounds to discuss in a time frame of two to five years or so. So to partner up with experts in the healthcare system who have uh, multiple assessments done and uh, can uh, share this kind of insights can be very important. And that uh, also in an early phase, that could start already when designing a clinical phase three clinical trial, uh, because at that point of time, you decide on comparators and endpoints, which will inform your clinical trial design, which will lead afterwards to a more successful uh, JCA assessment. So already collecting this input and insight uh, from such experts in an early phase could make a lot of sense for small, mid-sized companies. Yes, as you say, though, it's a huge shift, a huge ask, if you will, colloquially speaking. So in your opinion, what are the key requirements to enable that shift within the framework being suggested to meet the needs of those different EU member states? Yeah, I think um, on, on the one side, it's very important that there is a, a strong alignment on comparatives and endpoints. Uh, in the so-called scoping phase, we have, uh, uh, we, we have the PICO definition and the member states, uh, the HTA bodies in the member states will be asked to uh, give their input to a certain uh, compound, which will be assessed in the following JCA process. And and here, the harmonization, as we said before, is, is, is very important. The comparators and the endpoints, uh, so that we have not too many, but uh, ideally only one. And uh, yeah, and, and then, of course, afterwards, that the member states are sticking to this kind of agreement and don't request uh, additional data. Um, and uh, stick with the outcome of the JCA report as well. Thank you. Thank you. And if we go back to you briefly, Casper, sort of 
Over the next five to 10 years, what do you envisage the, or how do you expect the impact of the JCA to be upon the ATA? Yeah, I will absolutely come to that, Nicole. I was, there were just two things popping to mind, if you allow me, that I wanted to yeah. share as well. It's like, yeah, it was really, as I, I thank you for saying that I'm a very positive person and I, I, I'm absolutely, yeah, and you asked Herbert about the risk. And I think there's, there's, one additional risk that we need to be really mindful of, and also there, I, I will remain positive, of course, there, but it's the fact that there are, are different types of products. For instance, if you look for uh, January 2025 coming up, what I said, the ATMPs, so it's the advanced uh, therapeutic medicinal products, so cell and gene therapies are going through the process first. These are products for smaller populations, uh, sometimes with curative uh, treatments, uh, which is are different products than we the, the big medicines that went to huge populations. Frameworks for assessment need to be different for these products. Sometimes there's no comparator. Um, and I think an important call to action from the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine a few weeks ago was, let's really make sure we have appropriate frameworks, But because they illustrated the risk that there are from the ATMPs that are now authorized in the European market, if you take the current baseline proposed frameworks for JCA, 90%, so 9-0 of those products will be rejected according to the GCA. So yes. I don't think that is what we want. So also there, if we work together and, and zoom in on that, I think it's really important uh, to, to pay attention to that. And one other element that I wanted to mention indeed is you asked about the differences for also smaller and, 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 and the bigger pharma companies. And I think it, A, it depends a bit on the type of products. As I just described, there are the differences. But I think internally, those, those companies will uh, need to find a way in the sense that the larger pharmaceutical companies already have quite a bit strong central team. They have very good teams in the countries. Uh, for them, it's quite okay. And they probably will need to shift their, their responsibilities internally. In the past, it was more to the local companies that were submitting for assessments. will probably be more central, but they need to coordinate with the locals to uh, engage with uh, local HCA bodies. I think there will be a big, big challenge for the uh, more smaller and mid-sized pharma companies uh, because they have indeed uh, usually only a central market access function and less in the countries. And then you might ask, like, yeah, customer, but this is a central procedure, so what's the issue? The issue is that you do need to work together with your local HTA bodies in the, all the member states mm -hmm. to, to the point that Herbert said, that you want to come up with one PICO, one research question. And if you don't collaborate across the countries, it will be a big, big blur. Plus, you want to work together with them to make sure that the JCA report in the end gets adopted in those countries. And that means for the big, uh, for the small and mid-sized companies, it's a big challenge to be present in 27 member states. So I think they will really need to find a way to uh, yeah, to, to get their operating model in place. Um, then going back to your uh, question about what it will look like in, in, in the next five to 10 years. Yes. I think it's a very challenging one. <laughs> um, but if I take it again a little bit from where it should end, and I think somebody mentioned to me, it was a really nice example, like, this happened a few years ago or decades ago, also with the EMA coming to Europe. And, and then everybody was afraid with the regulatory pathways. Who were centralizing? How will that change the law? And now I don't even know better. So I think we need to be a bit patient. We need to acknowledge that this is about change. It takes time. So I think if we're patient, we will in a few, in, in five to 10 years, we won't know better. But the impact will depend on the final framework that comes through. And really important uh, for me is that, that the momentum picks up. And as Herbert said, Germany is stepping up. We also see France with HIS. 
You see the Netherlands, there are, uh, the country, there are a big a number of countries that are really seeing this import and then driving this process forward. So that's where I see a really positive movement. And the thing that really needs to happen in, in, to make this really successful is that we really start engaging more with patient organizations and medical societies to really make sure that the voice of the patients and the doctors is really incorporated in, in the framework. Um, yeah, and, and my final statement, and I think Herbert also said it a few times, but we really think, think this is an important one. It really comes down to uh, collective collaboration between all stakeholders. It's not only the coordination group. It's not only the government. We need the HCA bodies. We need the patients. We need the doctors, but we also need the companies to be heard. Uh, so I think that that's a really critical thing over the next few months to make this happen. Thank you, Casper. I'm going to leave your final words as the close of this podcast, because I think that was really well put. Thank you for putting the time into vocalising that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, both of you. Herbert, Casper, thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You're welcome. And so that concludes this episode of the Mini Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous installments and the main Farm Forum podcast series at farmforum.com forward slash podcasts. The mini Farmer Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Farm Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins as well. And follow us on Twitter at at Pharma4. Well, that's all for now. Thank you for listening.